This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit wogcc.com. Good morning. Happy Easter to everyone. So glad that you came to worship God with us today and to celebrate this Resurrection Sunday and for us to all be together as a church family. I saw something this morning when I woke up. I have a habit. Maybe you have this habit too. If you have Facebook, you get up and you check Facebook, you know, I guess because maybe someone has talked to me during the middle of the night and I have to find out real quick. Um, Or you're just nosy and you want to see what's going on in the world. And I woke up especially early this morning because we had an early morning service today at 7. And uh, so checked my Facebook and I saw there was this video. And the videos gripped my heart. It was a video of people in China receiving Bibles. And if you don't know anything about China, um, just to give you a heads up, it is a country where it's not allowed. Uh, Christianity isn't allowed. Bibles aren't allowed. So the church meets underground in secret locations, and you know, if you're caught with a Bible, that's a punishable offense. And all these Chinese people were gathered in this small room, and there were these suitcases. Apparently, they had to be shipped discreetly to these people. And they were opening up these suitcases, and they were pulling out brand new Bibles, and they were wrapped in plastic. And as they would pull them out of these suitcases, these people immediately held them close to their chest and they gripped them so tightly and every single one of them began to pray and began to cry and just hold that Bible so closely to them because this is something treasured, something special and they just grabbed it and seeing those people's faces this morning today just made me realize, you know, sometimes I think we can become very secluded in our Americanized way of thinking where we do have freedom to go to a bookstore and not have to worry about someone throwing us in jail or taking our life because we purchase a Bible. But yet we see how in a persecuted country where Christianity isn't allowed, just holding on to a Bible would cause someone to weep. As I saw that, it began to stir my heart and began to make me think about those Christians in other countries that are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus with us today, that they just don't run freely and open their Bibles, and they may not just uh, grab their Bibles casually, as you or I may, in the country that we're in. So this morning, before we get into the Word and we talk about Christ and what He's done for us, I want us to pray not only for our service today, not only for our activities and things we're going to do as families after the service is over, But I want us to pray for those who are celebrating the resurrection that are brothers and sisters in Christ that are like those Chinese folks that's got those uh, Bibles that we saw the video of today that gripped my heart. So if you would, just bow your head in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for what this day means. We thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives. And Father, we thank you so much that all this is possible because of your son Jesus and what he did on the cross. And we just want to pause And just think about for a moment those that are celebrating Easter today that may not have the same liberties we have in America. We're thankful for those liberties, but those are also our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we pray, Father, that you would help them to spread the message of the good news of Jesus. Help us to realize, like they have come to find, that you are enough, that we don't need anything else to satisfy, but truly you are enough. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for doing what none of us could have done. 
We thank you for being that perfect sacrifice. We love you today and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. What I want to talk about on this resurrection day is simply Jesus. So if you're taking notes, just write that word down, that precious holy name, Jesus. I want to talk about how Jesus affects our lives, what all he's done, and how great of a Savior that he truly is. You know, as we look at the Bible, a lot of people say, oh, that's just a book that teaches you how to live a good life, or that's just a book that is it's a holy book, but it's just, you know, uh, to give us some historical facts. Well, no, the Bible is actually none of those things. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not just a list of how to get what you want. The Bible is actually a narrative of God's heart for you and for me that actually from the beginning all the way to the end is all about Jesus. We can see how Jesus has always been there and how his heart is for you and I. So as I search out Jesus, as I seek him, as I seek to know him more and to grow in my relationship with him, I can know him and know his heart for me through his word. So I want to ask you this morning a question that may seem a little shallow at first, a question that may seem kind of like a a give me, if you will. Do you know Jesus? A lot of us would say, yes, I know Jesus. Sure, I I, I know all kinds of things about Jesus, and I know what he's done. I know the, you know the Easter story, I know the Christmas story. I know, I know Jesus. I'm not asking if you know a lot about Jesus. I'm asking you today to think, do you know Jesus? Because when you say that, knowing Jesus means a lot of different things to a lot of people. To some people, knowing Jesus means going to church. Well, I know Jesus because I go to church. I attend a a, a local congregation, and that's what Jesus is to me. To some people, Jesus may be a crucifix. I know Jesus because I I have a crucifix in my home, or I wear a cross necklace, or I I, I wear certain, you know, clothing. I remember when I was uh, a teenager that there was a shirt that I had that looked like the Mountain Dew logo, except instead of it saying Mountain Dew, it said, Jesus died for you. You know, I, I, there's another shirt that says, you know, Coca-Cola, but it says Christ the King, and it looks like the Coke logo. Oh, because I have that, I know Jesus. Or even better, you know, you guys remember the WWJD movement? The whole, what would Jesus do? Not who wants Jack Daniels. That's what would Jesus do? <laughs> you wear the bracelets. You got the T-shirts. You got the bumper stickers on your car. Oh, look at me. I'm a Christian. I remember one time we were taking our pastor's daughter when we were youth pastors in Arkansas. We were taking the pastor's daughter somewhere, and we pulled up behind a car that had a Jesus fish on the back. And she said, oh, look, a Jesus fish on that person's car. They must be Christians. And we think that because we have religious symbols and imagery that maybe that means knowing Jesus. Maybe that means that I'm a Christian. Maybe we look at knowing Jesus as abiding by a moral code. I know Jesus because I'm a good person, because I do good things, and, and Jesus is morality. So if, I, if, I'm, if I'm moral, then I know Jesus. Maybe to some of us, Jesus is just someone that we know a great deal about, but do we know him? Not just know about him, Is he just someone we reference? Is he someone that we hope hears us when we're afraid, when we need answers, when we need direction, when we need his help? Is he someone that we fear and don't want him to look our way when we are in sin? Who is Jesus to you? Is he a holiday? Is he a tradition you keep in your family? Or do you know Jesus personally 
do you know who he is? Because it's just one thing to know a lot about someone, and it's a completely different thing to know someone personally, right? I mean, there's a lot of people that I know a lot about, but what about knowing someone intimately and personally? Because if we know Jesus, we're going to know something about him, and that's that he is love. He is love unconditionally, not based off of conditions like you and I do. You and I, we love people conditionally. We love people within the parameters of, I approve of what you do. I like what you do for me. I like what you have to offer. And so therefore, I like you and I love you. And so we have this thing called if love. And what if love is, is I'll continue to love you as long as you do what I want you to do and you meet my conditions. But the moment you don't meet my conditions, then I don't know if I really love you anymore. And here's the thing, folks. We can't truly know someone in a relationship like that that's conditional. We can't really know somebody in a conditional relationship. You can't say, oh, I know you, because if the relationship is based off of all of these ideas and conditions of the way things have to be, then we just know a lot about Jesus. We don't really know him. My wife knows me, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And she loves me just the same unconditionally because she gets to see me when I'm happy, happy, happy. And she gets to see me when I'm sad, sad, sad. She gets to see me when I'm at my worst. She gets to see me when I'm frustrated, when I may say or do things that aren't very kind or loving. She doesn't give up on me. She doesn't allow that to change the fact that she still loves me because you see that love is unconditional. But we can't know Jesus in the form of a conditional relationship where we say, Jesus, I'll love you as long as you bless me. Jesus, I'll love you as long as you do good things for me because I'm interested in you, Jesus, because you, you know, I've heard preachers say that, you know, you can fix my marriage, that you can help me raise good godly children, that you can bless me financially, that I can have peace and joy and all these wonderful things. And it's a pretty good sales pitch. And I'll play, and I'll get to know you as long as I get what I want. But the moment that things don't go my way, I'm not so sure if I want to follow you, Jesus. I'm not so sure how committed I am to you when things aren't going the way that I want them to go. So our relationship oftentimes is conditional, and therefore it's a very shallow, disconnected relationship that doesn't truly mirror or reflect who Christ is. Because here's the thing, the more I get to know Jesus... The more he influences my heart, the more he influences my life, and then I actually begin to reflect who he is. I begin to actually show who he is through my life because I've allowed him to influence me. So if I can be a recipient of that unconditional love, then guess what? I can show unconditional love because the Bible says, freely you have received, so freely give. We want to freely receive But if we truly freely receive, then we can freely give because we understand who he is. Why? Because we know him. We can say stuff like God is love. We say stuff like Jesus loves you. But if we don't understand love, then how can we truly know him? If we don't understand what that looks like, if we don't understand this picture of this unconditional love, because you and I can oftentimes be very conditional with what we like and don't like, who will accept and who will shun but yet jesus says my love is unconditional and god is love 
You see, if my relationship is built off of conditions and it has to be the way I say it has to be, then do I really know him? I remember when I was in second grade, I was a love expert, okay? I had relationships figured out, second grade. I saw this girl in second grade named Emily, and she was the girl I was going to marry because even from a very young age, I was always interested in marriage, always. I wanted to be married, and when I looked at a girl, I would always... I would always evaluate, did I want to marry that girl? Well, second grade, I was at the maturity level, believe it or not, that I saw a girl said, I want to, she's the one for me. So I go to her and I say, Emily, would you like to be my girlfriend? Second grade. She said, "Uh, I will on one condition. And Emily's condition was, that I would take every one of my recesses and I would play tag with her. That was Emily's condition. Okay, sounds good. All right, we'll play tag every recess and you'll be my girlfriend. I'll be your boyfriend. (laughs) And so, so first recess, Emily's my girlfriend. I tell all my buddies, Emily's my girlfriend. And we go play tag because that was the condition for her to be my girlfriend, right? And it was fun. It was great. And then second recess that day, I see my buddies playing Ninja Turtles and swinging from the monkey bars. And I want to go over there and I hear, yoo-hoo. Yeah? Tag. Oh, yeah. And we play tag reluctantly. Well, then the next day comes around. First recess. There she is. Gotta go play tag. Second recess, gotta go play tag. Third day, I'm seriously reevaluating if she's the one. <laughs> I don't know if this is gonna work out between me and Emily. But I tolerate it for the third day. But by the fourth day, I'd made up my mind this relationship is over. We're going nowhere, babe. So I broke up with the girl. She's heartbroken as most girls that I had to let down easy were during those times in my life. Hey, hey. She was, I, I let her down nice and easy, though. But uh, I decided I didn't want a relationship that was going to be based on those conditions. But how often do we approach God the very same silly, immature way? God, I'll love you if. God, I'll serve you if. God, I'll follow you if. And we think that's love. You see, we have this misconstrued idea that that's what love really is. But true love is unconditional. It's without conditions. That's how Jesus loved us. And you need to understand something about Jesus' love. When he walked the earth, this was the first time humanity had ever experienced love in perfection. Because until then, the idea of love had been tainted and misconstrued because of sin. But here's Jesus, God in the flesh, and God is love. It's not what he does, it's who he is. So here's God in the flesh, love manifested in the flesh. So that means everything he did and said was perfect and was done with love because it's who he is. He doesn't know anything else. And it painted for us a very different picture of what our idea of love had been before. Because Jesus is perception and and what he showed us and modeled for us that love was was very different from what we had kind of come up with in our own minds because sometimes it was 
this idea that you and I have about love and about Jesus, which is the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus that welcomed the children to come sit on his lap and, and, and let's, let, let, let's forbid not the children to come unto me. You know, the, the pictures and the paintings that you see of Jesus with the staff and he has his hand on a lamb's head. And the ones where he looks so peaceful and so calm. And we look at that and we go, that's love. But what about the times when Jesus went to the temple and he threw the tables of the money changers upside down and ran them out with whips? <laughs> I don't know about that. <sighs> what, what about when Jesus confronted the religious leaders of that day and called them sons of snakes? Whoa. We call people son of another animal sometimes. <laughs> and it's a derogatory thing. And Jesus called those guys sons of snakes. That's what he said to the religious leaders. You brood of vipers, you sons of snakes. He said, you guys are dead on the inside. He said, you look like whitewashed tombs. You look all perfect on the outside, but you're dead inside. But if Jesus was love and everything he did and said was perfect, which it was and which he is, then he did all that in love. That gives us a completely different idea of what this whole love thing is all about. It wasn't that Jesus was passive. It was that Jesus knew what true love was because he is true love. And he was loving unconditionally. He looked at all of the fallen state of man. And he didn't say, okay, I'm going to die on the cross for you guys when you get your act together. I'm going to love you all once you figure this life thing out. Then I'll come die for you. No, Jesus died for us while we were all still sinners, is what the Bible says. While we were still rejecting him, spitting in his face, he still died for us. Because it wasn't Adam and Eve's sin. It wasn't the fact that the Romans drove the nails through the hands and feet of Christ. It wasn't that the Jews were the ones who manipulated the circumstance to have him crucified. No, no, no. That's not where our issue is. The issue is with us because it was you and I who took the fruit. It was you and I who drove the nails. It was our sin. Just like we sang earlier, it was our sin that held him there. It was you and me who were spitting in the face of Jesus. It was our sin. But yet, in all of that sin, Christ still decided to die for us in the middle of all of that? Now that's true love. That's unconditional love in him saying, I'm going to choose you first before you ever have the opportunity to choose me. I'm going to show you how great my love is, how deep my love for you is, and it's going to blow you away if you can receive it. And the only way you and I can truly receive the love of God is if we know him. If we grow in our understanding of who he is and then the bigger a reality of his love comes to us. And the more I understand the love of God for me, the more I can reflect his love in this world. Because the Bible said freely you've received, so freely you give. He wants us to be a conduit of that love, but we cannot do that if we can't receive it. And I can't receive it unless I understand what he's done and who he is. So let's look at the book of John in the 13th chapter. John chapter 13. 
verse 1, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew his hour had come that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his garments, he took a towel, he girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with a towel, which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing now, you don't understand, but you will after this. Peter said to him, you're never going to wash my feet. And Jesus said to Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Jesus said, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you're clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you're not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, he had taken his garments and sat down. He said, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you do these things, blessed are you if you do them. See, we hear this story about Jesus washing the disciples' feet, and, and, and at the first glance, it may appear that Jesus is just giving his disciples a really good lesson in how to be a good person and be a good servant. That's not what was going on, though. Jesus was teaching them something much deeper, and he was showing them something much stronger and much deeper than just how to be a good servant, because Jesus had modeled being a servant his whole three and a half years that he was with those guys. But here at this moment, he's about to go to the cross, and he decides to get down and wash his disciples' feet. Now, I don't know if you know anything about feet washing. I don't know if you know anything about feet. But these guys were wearing sandals, and I don't know if one of them had a profession as like a camel walker or something. You know, he'd go walk the neighborhood camels, and those camels do what they do, and these guys walking through all that mess, and then they walk in your house. Yeah, you had to have somebody wash the feet, just kind of like we do here in Wisconsin when we have snow and salt and all those things. We don't want to track it through our friend's house, so we want to take off our shoes when we go to their house. Kind of the same idea, except wanting to wash the feet. Well, that was the job for the guy that picked the short straw. That was not the choice job in the house, okay? It was the lowest job of the lowest servant to wash the feet of people who came in the house. And here all these disciples come in, sit in the house, and Jesus? D doesn't that seem kind of backwards? You know, shouldn't it seem like the disciples should have washed Jesus' feet? I mean, just think about this. Think, think about this from a celebrity perspective. I mean, let's take a, a guy like Aaron Rodgers, okay? And let's say Aaron Rodgers is going to be, he's going to be the uh, Grand Marshal of the Sheboygan Falls Parade. Wow, what a great honor. Well, Aaron, before you grand marshal the parade, we need you to wash all the citizens of Sheboygan Falls' feet first. <laughs> He's going to say thanks, but no thanks. 
And that's a celebrity, someone that we, would, we wouldn't ask him to do that. That's ridiculous. But yet, the Savior of the world, the creator of the universe in human form, would humble himself and wash feet. What Jesus was doing in that act was not teaching servant leadership, even, even though that's a good example, and you can certainly glean that from that. That wasn't what he was teaching them. He was showing them what he had done from coming from his throne in heaven, from coming down and humbling himself as a man to do something that they never could understand or never could have thought possible. But yet he was modeling it for them right there by washing their feet. That he had humbled himself, he had emptied himself, the Bible says. Coming to this earth as a man to take a position to do something for everyone else. That's why Jesus told Simon Peter, if you don't let me do this, you can't have any part with me. Because Peter was sitting there going, no, 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 Jesus, no, no, no. You don't have to do mine. You don't have to wash my feet, Jesus. I, no. And Jesus said, Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, you can't have any part in me. In other words, what Jesus was saying to Peter was that if you can't receive Peter, me humbling myself to do something as simple as wash your feet, to cleanse you from where you've been, to cleanse off all the dirt and the junk and the mire that you've walked through and stepped through and all the things that have accumulated. If you won't let me cleanse all of that, how are you going to be able to receive the love that I'm about to show you by dying on the cross and cleansing the sin of the world? You have to be able to receive me washing your feet because if you can't get that, then you can't get this. This is why I came, is what he was saying. But then, after all of that was done, and Jesus goes back and joins them at the table, he says something that just blows my mind. Jesus goes back and sits at the table, and he says, Now what I just did to you, you need to do to one another. And then Jesus reiterates this in John 15 and verse 12, where he says, This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus said, the way that I have loved you, you need to love one another. This is my commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. Whoa! Love one another? I mean, that, that takes it beyond the scope of just being a cute little saying, right? Love one another as I have loved you. And we go to a craft fair and get the little wood-burned scripture, and we put it above our kitchen sink. Love one another as I have loved you. And we look at that. That is weighty. That is a heavy statement. Because he was saying, now... You call me master, you call me Lord, and that's right, because that's who I am. He said, and a servant, which is what you are, is not above his master. So in other words, you're not above me. So in me doing this, I'm setting the tone, I'm setting the bar to lower yourself in order to serve, in order to give, in order to be willing to lay down your life for your friends. That's the type of love that I want you to love one another with. And Jesus said it's going to be the calling card that you're a disciple of Christ. The world is going to know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. This unconditional love that you and I 
have to be able to position our heart in order to receive through knowing him. Because if I don't know him, then how can I trust his love? How can I know his love? But if I know him and I grow in that, then not only is it going to change my heart, change my actions, change my attitudes, but it's going to reflect that love to others. Then all of a sudden I begin to treat people differently. I begin to love people more. I, I begin to forgive quickly. I begin to stand up for what is right, like Jesus did. Why? Because someone taught me how to do it? No, because it's in my heart to do it. Because my heart is after him, and he's changed my heart. We can try to modify behavior, but if you don't change the heart, behavior modification is not going to work. Right? A lot of us spend all of our time looking to how to change our behavior. No, no, no. We need a heart change. And the only way we can have our hearts changed is if we'll let Jesus wash our feet. And the only way we'll let Jesus wash our feet is if we will realize that our feet are dirty. If we'll realize that apart from Jesus, I'm dead and I'm empty and I'm filthy and I need him. Not that I'll serve you, Jesus, and have relationship with you because I think I'm going to get a lot of good goodies out of the deal. No, it's because I realize apart from you, I'm hopeless. Because apart from you, I'm empty. But apart from you, I'm, I'm dirty. And I need you to wash my feet. More importantly, I need you to wash my heart. I need you to change me from the inside out. Because I need you. And then when I realize I need him, and I can receive that love, I can receive that foot washing, I can receive that Christ on the cross, then I can begin to reflect that love. And I can begin to show that love. I can begin to be a conduit of that love. Then I can understand where Jesus said, what I've done to you, you need to do to one another. Then I can understand where Jesus said, it's my commandment that you love one another like I've loved you. And no greater love has a man than this, that he would lay his life down for his friends. See, this is how Jesus brought victory. This is how Jesus overcame through love. Love conquers all. Love never fails. His love transcended our sin, our, our, our fallen state, and provided for us a way to be connected to our Creator. Not because we earned it, certainly not because we deserved it, but because of His unconditional love. He welcomed us into His family by being willing to die for us right where he was at. And all we have to do is reach out and recognize we need him. <clears throat> but you can't receive it unless you recognize you need him. Otherwise, we're going to be like Simon Peter saying, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm good, Lord. I don't need you to wash my feet. I would rather do for you. And Jesus said, I didn't come so you could do all of this for me. He said, I came to actually do this for you. He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but rather to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's why Jesus came. That's the love of God. That's the unconditional love of Christ. And Jesus brought us victory in his death. He brought us his victory. It's not my victory, but I get to share in Christ's victory. It's what Jesus did for me that I get to share in. Normally we look at death as the end and we go, oh, it's over. Death, it's done. But death is no longer the end if we're alive in Christ because he's made all things new and we're going to live forever because it's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that lives within me. 
He brought us victory over sin. He brought us victory over our past, victory over our pain, victory over our shame because of his unconditional love that he wants me to receive. He wants me to know. He wants me to pursue. He wants me to grow in my understanding of that love. Why? So I can reflect him and glorify him. So I can go wash other people's feet. So I can go and be willing to lay down my life for someone else, regardless if they burn me, regardless if they hurt me, regardless if they talk bad about me. I'm willing to do that because that's the love that Christ had for me, that while I was still a sinner, that Christ was willing to die for me. And he says, the love I've shown you, go show one another. What I've done to you, go do to another. And by this, all men will know you're my disciples. Because you have love one for another, not your version of love, not if love, not conditional love, not strings attached love, but the love that Christ showed us in his life and in his death. His sacrifice was the ultimate act of love. His death enabled us to be sons and daughters of God. So here's the thing. Now, because we are sons and daughters of God, we can love like Jesus loved. We can overcome like he overcame. We can trust and rest because it's his victory if we know him. Here's the difference. Before Christ, you and I didn't have the capacity to love people unconditionally. But when I receive that love, I'm now positioned to be able to give that kind of love. What? That's right. The reason that you couldn't love unconditionally and love like Christ loved before Christ entered your life was because you didn't even know how to receive that love. And the sad thing is is that a lot of people substitute religion for relationship and they think that their religion is that relationship and they haven't experienced the love of God and they know a lot about Him but they don't know Him. And until we know him and we experience his love and who he is, then how can we share in that victory? How can we grow in that? How can we understand this unconditional love that we're supposed to give to one another? It just becomes another thing on our list that we try harder to be better at and we fail every time. Because Christ is the one who gives us the capacity to be able to love like he loved, but we first have to let him wash our We first have to let him die on the cross for us and receive that love and not just let it be something I know and heard in Sunday school where we're like Peter who says, no, you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus said, if you don't let me wash your feet, Peter, you can't have any part of me. You've got to let me wash your feet. If you want to share in my victory, if you want to share in what I'm doing, let me tell you, you've got to let me wash your feet. You've got to know me. You've got to know why I've come. When I was a teenager, I used to love Reggie Miller. If you don't know who he is, he's a basketball player that played for the Indiana Pacers. My favorite guy. He is my man. Reggie's my guy. Love Reggie. I have a small shrine in my office to Reggie. I have a couple of frames that have some of my favorite basketball cards on the wall. And then I have all of my starting lineup action figures on a shelf. I have autographs and things in glass cases that are on the wall. And then I have my childhood jersey that I used to wear all the time. And my mom would say, wear something else. That's all I wanted to wear because Reggie was my guy. And it's faded and it's worn and it's cracked on the numbers and where his name is on the back. But I've got it in a frame in my office from my childhood. Reggie was my guy. I remember one time there was this TV show that would let you write in if you were a super fan. 
of any celebrity or sports star. And if you could prove you were super fan enough, then you would get to meet them and they would make a show out of it. And I wrote, oh, I want to meet Reggie Miller. I could tell you everything about Reggie. I could tell you about how uh, in high school, how many points he used to average. I could tell you the, the score he used to have during uh, his college time at UCLA. I could tell you all of his pro statistics and tell you all kinds of things about Reggie, his favorite color. I could tell you what kind of sneakers he wore. I could probably tell you what he liked for breakfast. But if I were to call Reggie and say, hey, Reg, what's going on, man? He would go, who? How'd you get this number? If I saw Reggie on the street, and I'd be like, Reggie, what's up? A man would step in between me and Reggie because he has a bodyguard to protect himself from crazy people like me. <laughs> he would step in the way and say, I'm sorry, sir. He would block me from Reggie. But, but Reggie, I know all about you. I know all your stats. I know where you grew up. I know who your brothers and sisters are. I, I, I know their names. I, 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 know, I know your dog's name. I'm a fan, and I know a lot about him, but I don't know him. You see the difference? I don't know him. He's not going to do anything for me. He's not going to help me. He's not going to bless me. He's certainly not going to save me, but yet I know a lot about him. You see, the thing is, is that if I know God, then my heart is his, and I can know his love, and I can love like he loved. I can die to myself. I can let unconditional love become who I am instead of something I'm trying harder to be better at. I can let it affect my heart and who I am and change me from the inside out. In John chapter 16 and verse 33, Jesus said this, These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. He said, in the world you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. He said, be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. Be of good cheer because I've already won the victory. Be of good cheer because my love has already conquered all. So all of your troubles, all of your failures, all of your heartaches, all these things that you and I look, all, all of our embarrassments and, and our shame, and all those things, he's overcome all of those. Why? Because of his love. And how are you and I going to overcome when we are able to allow him to wash our feet? When we're able to allow him to show us his unconditional love and we actually receive it? We receive it in such a way that it begins to change us and we begin to reflect who he is in our lives. You see, when I know him, I can rest in his victory. I can share in his victory. He has overcome. Jesus has overcome. It's his victory. It's his love. But I have to know him. So I want to ask you the question that I opened up with. Do you know Jesus? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I want to ask you, do you know Jesus? Not do you know about him, do you know him? And are you allowing his love to influence your heart in such a way that you are reflecting who he is? Do you know him? To 
know him is to be like him. To know him is to be like him. God, help us to know you. In this moment, if you need Jesus Christ in your life, if you want to know him, just tell him today in this moment, in this place, Jesus, I need you. I want to know you. He hears your prayer. He hears your cry. You don't need me. You don't need anyone else. This is a decision between you and God. Do you know Jesus? Jesus, I need you. Just tell him right now, right here in this moment, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want to know you more. Help me to grow in your love. Jesus isn't impressed with recited prayers or memorized things or fancy words. He is interested in your heart. He's interested in the authenticity of your heart when you realize your feet are dirty. Jesus, I need you to wash my feet. Jesus, I need you to cleanse my heart. Jesus, I need you to make me new. Jesus, I need you. I receive you washing my feet. I humble myself to allow you, Lord, to cleanse me because I realize I need you. I want to walk in victory and overcome because, Lord, you have already won the victory. I want to share in that victory with you. Help us to trust you and get to know you more, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.